Scripture reading comes from Acts chapter 6, verses 8 to 15, and chapter 7, 54 to 60, uh, where we're um, reading about Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So Acts 6. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against uh, this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then 754. But now when they heard that things, uh, when they heard these things, uh, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. This is God's word. Please be seated. Was that Jessica? <laughs> All right. Uh, we decided to give our presider a little bit of a break on scripture reading this morning. Made it a little bit easier, right? I uh, didn't have him read like three chapters or anything like that, so uh, just one of those easy weeks. All right. Yes, uh, so we uh, are continuing in the book of Acts, uh, as you know, and um, today we get to look at this character named Stephen. And uh, yeah, Stephen is one of these guys that uh, I am very, very fascinated with. Um, one of these guys that I remember that um, this was many years ago, our church, not this church, but the church I was part of back then, uh, we did a play. And I got chosen to play the role of Stephen. And up until that point, I got to confess to you, I didn't know much about who Stephen was. And I was in seminary. Okay. And, you know, and then find out, oh, this Stephen. So he gets stoned to death at the end. He gets martyred. <laughs> and... Uh, but as I studied his life and looked at uh, who this guy was, just immensely fascinated. And I just thought, you know what, I would like to, I don't know if I would like to quite die like Stephen, but I would like to live like him <laughs> and live the kind of life that he lived. And so um, it's really uh, 
truly a fascinating, fascinating character. But before we do that, uh, look more into the word. I'm going to ask you to just join me in the word of prayer and ask the Lord to open our hearts to his word this morning. So please join me. Father, we are so thankful that, God, we can come into your presence. Um, Lord, your word tells us that heaven is your throne, the earth is your footstool, and uh, there is no building, there's no house that contains your presence. Lord, you sent the holy and righteous one, Jesus, to take our place so that, Lord, we can know the God of the universe. And what an immense privilege and joy that this is, that we have been redeemed, bought by the precious blood of Jesus himself. Lord, as we've been studying the book of Acts, uh, we are both uh, immensely encouraged and yet very, very challenged to think about our church and to think about our lives, to, to think about whether our lives are being empowered by the Spirit, whether we are truly on mission with Jesus in this world. Would you, um, through your word, would you just stir us up? Would you break us? Would you take us out of our comfort zones always? Would you uh, give us lives that are centered upon who you are, upon your kingdom, not grow complacent, not grow to love this world or to grow worldly, but to grow more kingdom-minded and hearted, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to do that. And um, Lord, I do pray that your word would do the speaking and would do the convicting and would do the shaping and forming of our hearts and our church. Jesus, uh, we want to be living lives that are submitted to you. So help us, Lord, by your spirit. We are weak, but you are strong. And help us to live a life that is pleasing more and more to you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so just to give you a little bit of recap about Acts as we've gone through uh, the first five chapters, is Acts is really uh, the story of what Jesus is doing to expand his kingdom, uh, how he's growing his church, and how he takes a band of very, very ordinary people. Uh, these original 12, but the 120 in Jerusalem, and as they learn to center their life on Jesus, that the Spirit of God is going to use this group to do uh, extraordinary supernatural things. And this is our story as well as a church, that by the work of Jesus, that we get to participate in what God is doing around the world to expand his kingdom. Uh, we've been looking at how really what the Spirit-filled church is all about in the first five chapters of Acts. And we saw the Spirit-filled church is uh, filled with compassion, with justice, with generosity within. Uh, we looked at how the church is to take these courageous steps, right, to proclaim the gospel. Um, this has been true not only in Acts, but this has been true throughout the history of the church. And so if we want to ask the question, uh, what kind of church should we become? What is our compass? What is our true north? Uh, what is our mission? What is the kind of church that, that God is going to use? We just look at the book of Acts. It's all laid out very clearly here. And things have not changed today. Today, though, as we look at uh, Acts 6 and 7, we want to look at this one guy. Uh, his name is Stephen, as I said. 
And we not only look at the Spirit-filled church, but we're looking at who is a Spirit-filled Christian and what kind of Christian does God use to further his kingdom? Uh, what kind of person is a person that God is going to use to um, just really make a, a, a difference, a significant difference in the kingdom of God? Stephen, uh, as I mentioned to you, is a very unique character, uh, I think, in the New Testament. He is, he's only really mentioned in these couple of chapters in the, in the New Testament, but he is very instrumental in the furtherance of God's kingdom. Uh, he's not a rock star, right? When you think of the rock star Christians, you think of Paul, Peter, uh, James, and John. These guys are the rock stars, right? They wrote these, uh, a lot of these books of the New Testament. Yep. Stephen didn't write any book, anything like that. He was more of kind of a, a background kind of person. Um, but even though he was a background kind of person, uh, we find that Stephen was immensely gifted. Like, he was this amazing preacher, um, as we will see actually in Acts chapter 7. But uh, this guy was, had leadership. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, this is a guy who basically you know, could have said, you know what, um, I, I should have this platform, you know, I should, I should have this church or this platform where uh, I'm seeing these amazing things happen, but he wasn't like that. In fact, uh, in, the, in Acts chapter 6, in the early part, we didn't read this, um, there's an issue that happened between the Hellenistic and Hebraic Jews, the, the, the Greek-speaking and, and Jewish-speaking Jews, and there is just an issue of, of table, of food. And the Greek-speaking Jewish widows not getting enough food at the table. The apostles, they basically say, look, we don't have time to deal with is this issue. Um, who can we ask to take care of, who can we ask, in other words, serve tables? Who can, who can we ask to make sure that these widows are getting fed their proper portion and they chose Stephen among one of the guys. And Stephen, again, could have said, you know what? I've got, I've got these gifts. I can do these ministries, and you're asking me to serve tables? But he wasn't like that. Uh, he was willing, and he was completely sold out to Christ to do whatever he, he whatever the, the leadership or whatever God wanted him to do. He was a humble, humble man. And his life was marked by this, this submission to Christ. Well, we want to look at what were the qualities or why is it that Stephen was used by God in such effective ways. And we're going to look at five things um, just fairly quickly in Acts 6 and 7. Read with me uh, Acts 6 8. And Luke records this, the kind of man that Stephen was, and here's the key to who he was. Stephen was full of grace and power, and he was doing great wonders and signs among the people, filled with grace and power. Verse 9, actually, if we read on, Stephen, amazingly, was this was a man who was actually performing signs and wonders among the people. The Spirit of God was using him in pretty amazing ways. And in verses 3 to 5, if you look at 
Acts 6, here's the key. It says that Stephen was a man of good repute, but he was full of the Spirit and wisdom. Full of the Spirit and wisdom. The reason why and the key to everything we're, we're going to look at with Stephen was he was a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit. The key to his life, ministry, was just as the Spirit filled Jesus and empowered Jesus to do these amazing things, Luke 4, that Jesus was, was filled with wisdom power, the Spirit fills Stephen in the same way to empower him. My question to all of us and um, is really, are we looking to the Holy Spirit to fill us? Are we looking to the Spirit of God to give us faith and wisdom? And are we, enabling, are we being enabled by the Spirit to use us? A lot of times we rely maybe upon our own strength or upon our own wisdom or our own abilities, but Stephen was a man who was filled with the Spirit. And the question is this, Whatever controls your heart, right? Whatever fills your heart is what you're being controlled with. If we are filled with the Spirit, then we are, if we're, if we're controlled by the Spirit, then we're being led by the Spirit and we're being filled by the things of the Spirit and the Spirit is going to use us. But if we're filled with anger or if we're filled with lust or if we're filled with jealousy or if we're filled with all these other things, then these are the things that are going to control us. And so we need to learn to live a life that says, Lord, would you fill me with your spirit? I, I don't want to be controlled by anything other than by you. So I confess my sins. I, I want to learn to repent. And I want to learn to ask for the filling of the spirit in my life. Would you fill me? Would you enable me? Would you empower me to live the life that you want me to live? And this man, Stephen, was filled with the spirit in that way. But... Secondly, we read in verses 9 through 10, Luke goes on, Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Stephen spoke with the wisdom just like Jesus. And this mention of the freedmen's synagogue or the synagogue of the freedmen. This is a synagogue of Greek-speaking Jews of former, um, yeah, of just all over and all different locations. And they're arguing with Stephen for days, but they could not refute or withstand this wisdom that Stephen had. It's interesting that Luke mentions this uh, city, Cilicia. Cilicia is Paul's hometown. And judging from the context of this passage, um, Paul is mentioned in Acts chapter 7. Um, his, he's mentioned as Saul. And he's the only other person actually in this narrative, in Acts 6 and 7, that's, that's mentioned besides Stephen. And presumably what's going on is that Paul... He could very well have been this ringleader 
that is stirring up this riot against Stephen that's, that's about to ensue, all this controversy. But likely, as we'll see, uh, Saul, he becomes a follower of Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus, um, Paul, we know, is the one who's going to give all this information to Luke, this writer, about what's happening. And, um, and Paul made sure that this account would be recorded in Scripture forever. So, Stephen, as all this, is, all this controversy is going up against him, he's standing up with great confidence and courage. And he's being bullied, and uh, they have this agenda against Stephen. And Stephen, he doesn't have any formal training behind him. He never went to, to Bible college or seminary. He didn't have this formal training evangelism or philosophy or apologetics. He didn't have any of this stuff. But what Stephen did was he simply, in the power of the Spirit, spoke the wisdom of Jesus against, against these bullies, really. And he believed what Jesus said. In Luke chapter 21, um, Jesus says this, but he says, They will lay their hands on you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. And this will give you an opportunity to bear witness. Therefore... Jesus says, make up your minds not to prepare your defense ahead of time, for I will give you such words and the wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. And Jesus prophesied, he predicted that this, this was going to happen. Look, you're going to get persecuted, but as you go be, before all these opponents, I'm going to give you, I'm going to fill you with the right words. And so Stephen's playing this out. Um, Stephen, this whole time, just like Jesus, right, he's just relying upon the Spirit, re relying upon the Holy Spirit to give him the, the words, the wisdom, the revelation he needs to stand up against these critics, these opponents, those who are seeking to persecute him, really. This past week, um, you know, as I was meeting with our, uh, our short-term team that's about to launch out into Asia. And we were Skyping, and the team was Skyping, and we got the call, right, from, uh, for those of you and um, the missionary units that we're supporting out there. Uh, said, Plan A, what we had planned for you guys is not going to happen. And right now, there's a crackdown that's happening in that location and uh, we're gonna have to resort to plan B but plan B who knows exactly what that is there's a vague idea of what they're gonna do but it's not very clear at all very concrete at all and this team is about to launch off in one and a half weeks right and Welcome, right? This is, this is the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus, we, you just don't know. Um, plans suddenly change. Things that we had relied on or all these preparations that this team was making for several months and saying, we're going to do this and we've got it all mapped out and everything, that's all out the window at this point. And now they have one and a half weeks to get ready for something that they don't have a clear idea of what they're going to do but that's okay. Why? Because I think it's in these kind of situations or these instances where God basically says, look, 
the training wheels kind of come off, right? You can't rely upon your preparation. You can't re- preparation is not a bad thing. It can be a really good thing, right? We're, we we should prepare, and planning is good. There's nothing wrong with that, but don't you can't rely on that. You can't rely on your previous experiences or your preparations or your abilities. You just can't do that. And if we're going to be on mission with Jesus, the reality is that, is that we're going to be encountering all these situations where there's so many question marks and uncertainties and, and unknowns, and we have to be comfortable with that and say, yeah, whatever routine or whatever preparations I made in the past, I just hold these things very, very loosely before God. And this is what's happening with Stephen here, right? And these are the things that I will tell you bring us on our knees, right? They, they bring us before God and they humble us. And we're, we come before God and we say, God, uh, what are we supposed to do? What am I supposed to say? I don't exactly know, right? I, all I know is, Lord, I need to ask you for wisdom. And whether you're on a short-term mission team to, um, to Asia or whether you're a parent, right, raising your children, or whether you're a student at school, or whether you're in the marketplace, or wherever you're at, right? Whatever situation, every single day, as you start off that that day, there's a whole bunch of things that you don't know is going to happen. You don't know what conversations, you don't know what conflicts, you don't know uh, what is gonna go south that day. You just have no idea. But let me ask you this. Do you start off your day And do you go throughout your day saying, Lord, I need you. I need your wisdom. I don't exactly know what to do. I don't know what to say, but Lord, would you give me your insight? Would you give me your discernment? Would you give me your wisdom? Uh, You know, that kind of dependence and that kind of desperation, I think, is what Jesus wants from us day by day. And if you learn to say, Lord, I don't have the wisdom. Please fill me with your words. Give me your wisdom. Um, Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I need you. That is the kind of dependence that God will honor and he will fill you with his spirit, right? That's the way it works. We have so many things in our church that are going on both internally and externally. And there's a lot of cool and missional things that we're trying to pursue. But uh, let me just say that we have general ideas and we have the Word of God and the Word of God always directs us. But um, on a day-to-day level, we don't exactly know what's going to happen. And all we can do is we're always brought on our knees to come before the Lord and say, Lord, we don't have the wisdom. Lead us. I don't know what to do. Please. I'm desperate. Um, And this is what Jesus is looking for. Uh, To be filled with the Spirit is to rely upon Jesus, to be desperate for Jesus. This is what it means. And to constantly ask for the Spirit to empower you, to help you. But here's the third thing about Stephen. Verses 11 to 15, Luke records this. He says, Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. 
And they, they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against his holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth would destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. That phrase is so important. But the third thing I want to share is that Stephen endured trial and fire like Jesus. He endured trial and fire like Jesus. So uh, we see that things are going south very, very quickly in this situation. Um, they can't stand up to Stephen's wisdom. So what do they do? They bring up all these phony charges against him. Right? And then they're going to bring him before this kangaroo court. And they clearly have this agenda. We're, gonna, like, we're just going to put you away. You know, if, we can't, we, if we can't argue against you, then you know, we're going to come up with some other way. But we're going to put you away in some, somehow. So they bring up all these phony charges that he's blasphemed against Moses, against God, the temple, the law, which are all subject to the death penalty. And... And then you could see where this is all heading at this point. And um, I want to say that as you see Stephen here, right? Um, he is filled with the Spirit. He's standing up. He's, he's standing on his conviction. He's bold before uh, these people. And his face is like that of an angel, right? Why an angel? Well, um, Scripture records that as Stephen's face is like an angel, this is kind of like how Moses, when he went up on the mountain, he was beholding God's glory. And as, as he came down the mountain, his face was bright and shining, and God's glory had shined upon him. And I really believe that what's going on here is, as Stephen is going through this intense persecution at this point, that in a lot of ways, God's glory is shining upon him. And it's almost as if God is saying, um, I'm right there with you, and I, my favor is right here, right now, with what you're going through. I am very much present, and as Moses had this, um, this glory about him as he was on top of the mountain with God, it signified this intimacy and this closeness. And I think that what's happening here with Stephen is the same thing, that I think at this point, Stephen is closer to God than he's ever been. That as he's going through this kind of persecution, this kind of opposition, it's actually because of his intimacy with God, his closeness and fellowship with Jesus, that he is going through what he's going through. And God is saying, um, I'm going to let you suffer. I'm going to let you even die because my favor is so strongly upon you. Now, this is very, this is counter, counterintuitive, right? This is counter human nature. Uh, we don't think like this at all, right? We think that, hey, if I'm close with God or if God really has favor upon me, then things are going to go really well in my life. The job, the school, everything's going to just line up perfectly. My health, my finance, or whatever it is. And we think all these things are going to just, just going to fall right into line. But this is not what Scripture teaches. Right? In fact, what scripture, scripture teaches is because you are in the will of God, sometimes God will allow 
suffering and he will allow even intense persecution and opposition not because you're doing anything wrong but because you're doing something right and you know we don't want to suffer because of our sin that you know there's no glory in that right we don't we don't want to suffer because we're making foolish decisions but the reality is is that if we are walking in the will of Jesus it's inevitable that we're going to face some amount of opposition, challenge, and even suffering. This is part and parcel of the Christian life. And this is actually part and parcel of being missional with Jesus. I know I sound like a broken record on this because I've been talking about this uh, through the first five chapters of Acts. But I, I don't think is as we've been reading through the book of Acts, you just can't get away from it, right? You just can't get away from the fact that if we are actually concerned about the things of God's kingdom and we're seeking God and his kingdom first and foremost above all things, you just cannot avoid opposition in your life. You can't. Um, and if there's no discomfort if there's no opposition because you're seeking to share the gospel because you're being missional then then that may not be the best sign either and i'm not saying that there aren't times of peace there are times of peace right thank god for that but what i'm saying is um yeah just over the course as a pattern if we're if we're seeking to be missional you just can't avoid it it comes with the territory and this is what's happening with Stephen. But the fourth thing I just want to share is this. Um, Stephen clearly proclaimed Jesus. He clearly proclaimed Jesus. Now, um, we don't have time to look at his sermon, okay? Um, we need to actually end the service by 1230, right? So, you know, even reading the sermon, 53 verses, uh, Acts 7, 1 to 53, I think would take us until 1230 at this point, right? Uh, so we're not going to go there. We're not going to read the whole sermon. But um, it's very, very clear. And let me just, I just I'm just going to summarize this sermon. This is the longest sermon in a book that's filled with sermons. Okay. And so all of a sudden, Stephen comes out with this unprepared talk. Okay. He hasn't been studying all week. He hasn't been, you know, uh, meditating on what he's about to say all week or whatever. He just, it's just... What happens, though, in this sermon is this. He basically recounts all of Israel's history. And he goes all the way back to Abraham. He starts talking about Moses. Uh, he starts uh, talking about how God has been with Joseph and David and Solomon. And he recounts all these major figures of the Old Testament. And through all these different passages that are just flowing out of his mind, right, unprepared, it's just out of his heart. He's, he's, already, he's already studied the, the scriptures, Old Testament scriptures, so well that he can just recite these passages. And then in the process, he's, he's exalting Jesus. He's saying Jesus is the one who fulfills all of these things that happen in the Old Testament. And this is the essence of his sermon. And what he's basically saying is that God's presence, unlike what you have thought, cannot be confined to a building or a temple. Um, God has been with you. It, it, pre, it goes before the law, the temple, the land, all of these things. 
And all this time, um, Israel has been thinking, God is with us because we have this building. Right? Um, so God's protection, his presence is with us. But Stephen is basically saying, no, that's not true. These are only symbols or shadows, but the real substance is Jesus himself. And God is, God is the one who is doing this work of saving, of judging, of um, of fulfilling his promises. He's the one who's doing all of these things. And then he concludes his sermon by, you know, this is a great, this is a great um, conclusion, but basically he says in verse 51, you stiff-necked people. Wow. This is, this is a great happy ending, right? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So the way he concludes the sermon is basically saying you have broken God's law. You have violated it. You are guilty of rebellion against God himself. Now, for some reason, they didn't like that part of the sermon, right? And at that point, they said, okay, we've heard enough of you. And they started, they picked up stones, and then he ended up dying a bloody death at that point, right? But ultimately, let me say this. Um, Stephen had this fire in his willingness to endure trial and to even die. Why? Because he knew Jesus, and he knew him personally, and he had a fire and a love for Jesus that came out. And how did he have this fire and love for Jesus? Well, he knew the Old Testament. He knew the scriptures. You know, how do we stir up our love for Jesus? How are we going to get to the point where our life and our church is willing to take risks, is willing to step out of its comfort zone? It's because of our love for Christ himself. You and I are, if we love something more than Jesus, right, we are not going to be willing to take any risks at all. It just won't happen. But whatever you love most, right, whatever that you have set your heart most, that is what you're willing to sacrifice for the most in your life, right? Whatever you treasure the most in your heart and life, that is what you're going to say, I'm willing to take risks, I'm willing to sacrifice, I'm willing to proclaim this. Uh, you naturally proclaim, proclaim what you love the most. And if we love Jesus the most, then he is the one we will seek to proclaim the most. That's just, I think that's just a natural principle of life. And so G Stephen is on fire for Jesus he knew the scriptures. He's a man of the word. Uh, he was a man of prayer. He was relying upon the Holy Spirit. And, he's, and then he comes to his end, basically, at that point. And then the fifth thing is this, and I'm just going to kind of conclude it with this. But uh, finally, he suffered and died just like Jesus. Uh, verse 54, now when they heard these things, they were enraged. They ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. 
And as they were stoning Stephen, he cried out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do you not hold this sin against them? Against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, I want you to see just a quick connection really quickly here. Stephen prays one last prayer. And it's a prayer just like Jesus prayed on the cross. But as he's literally dying, he says, Lord, would you just forgive them? Okay, forgive them. Don't hold this against them. This is the ultimate, ultimate sign. And this is the ultimate heart that's been transformed by the love of Christ, right? Well, Luke mentions that there's this guy named Saul. And everyone's laying their garments at his feet. Well, we know um, Saul becomes... Based on this, he's kind of the ringleader of what's happening here, right? And we know that Stephen's prayer has been answered. The Lord did forgive the enemies. Who? This guy named Saul. And Saul would become Paul, and he would become one of the greatest Christian leaders of all time, one of the greatest missionaries of all time. And so even to the end, Stephen's prayer is answered. One last thing I want to point out to you. Did you find anything kind of odd about this text? Jesus, he's ascended to the right hand of the Father, right? And as Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, what is Jesus, how does the rest of Scripture describe Jesus? As someone who is, what? Seated at the right hand. But here, in this passage, he's not seated, he is standing at the right hand. Why is he standing? Well, who do you normally stand for? Right? If, if you're seated, and let's say someone walks in, right, and uh, who would you normally stand for? Well, people that you really love, right? You greet them, hey, good to see you, you know? Um, or someone who's really, yeah, maybe just someone who's really honorable. Right? You stand up, and you honor, and you greet them. Well, Jesus is really in a sense saying, hey, whoever denies me, I will deny before the Father. But whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. And this is his way of acknowledging before the Father. Here's Stephen. Look at how he lived his life and look at how he concluded. Um, Stephen fell asleep and Jesus is the one honoring him. Now, the reason why Stephen could live this kind of, or die this kind of, could die well and faithfully is because he lived his life well for Jesus. And my question to you is this. See, you don't get to this point like Stephen overnight, right? My question is how do you, how do you live a life or how do you even get to this point? How do you finish your life well like Stephen? It's a series of little things every single day, but day by day, taking in God's word, learning to rely upon the Holy Spirit, learning to say, Jesus, help me to be faithful to you. Help me to be missional. Help me to be faithful to the things that you've given me this day. And as you learn day by day, faithfully, like Stephen, to say, fill me with your spirit, Jesus, help me to be about you and your kingdom this day. Help me to love you more than anything else in this life, uh, more than my career, uh, more than my school, more than my family, more than anyone else. 
Help me to love you more than anything and let me be about your kingdom. If you learn to live like this, filled with the Spirit day by day, this is, well, this is the glorious ending, not in our eyes, but in Jesus' eyes. Jesus says, this is a man that I'm going to honor, and this is a man that I'm going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have run your course well. And this is the kind of person that God uses to advance his kingdom. I want to I wanna be like Stephen. I want to live my life faithfully. And I want to live my life in such a way that at the end of the day, at the end of my life, it was run straight into the arms of Jesus. Not walking into his arms, but I want to live my life in such a way that I have run my course well, straight into his arms and say, Lord, uh, may you have been glorified through my life. That's a life that Jesus will use to expand his kingdom. I'm going to invite the praise team. Just, uh, can you just sing one song or just one verse uh, just to close off our time? And um, just one verse, and then we're going to, I'm going to just pray for us. Okay? And uh, why don't we rise as we sing this last verse? And why don't we... Um, as we're singing the song, I'm going to ask you to just really come before the Lord and say, Lord, would you use my life? Would you take it? And would you, would you really be glorified? Fill me with your spirit. Help me to center my heart, my life on you. Jesus, whatever, whatever has filled my heart other than you, would you please do a work in my heart and would you just fill me with Jesus instead? If career or school or anything else or another person has taken filled that heart besides Jesus would you ask the Lord Lord please forgive me um, help me Lord to just love you supremely more than anything else and we're going to sing this verse and this life.